0: Hello again ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the new and improved Round the Modern Campfire podcast. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Before we get into the stories for tonight I'd like to quickly plug my Patreon. If you would like to help out by becoming a patron I now have three tiers going. Night Owls at $2, Firekeeper at $5, and Librarian at $8. Please keep in mind these are in UN's currency. This just keeps the podcast running smoothly and lets me keep producing more content for everyone. And obviously, there are rewards for all the tiers, like choosing the stories for the next episode, guest narrating if you would be interested in doing so, and having your name listed off at the beginning or end of the episodes. You can now find this podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. Lastly, there is also the Round the Modern Campfire Facebook Lastly, there is also the Round the Modern Campfire Facebook page. Well, you can get in contact with me, leave suggestions for stories, keep updated on the progress of this podcast, take part in deciding how the podcast works, or just generally chat. I'd love it if you popped in and said hi. Please also keep in mind if you like any of the stories from this episode, they are linked in the description so that you can show these amazing authors the love they deserve. Anyway, with all that said and done, grab yourself a warm drink, a nice snack, and let's delve into the stories for tonight. This happened four years ago, and I never told anyone about it. Even the few people who were there have decided to not believe it, which I understand. It's easier that way. Unfortunately, I don't have that option. Summer of 2016, three friends and I set off to a buddy's house for a long weekend of camping and doing drugs. Might as well be honest about it. To give context, we were all in our low to mid-twenties, all guys. The guy whose house we went to, his name is Rob. I knew him the least of everyone involved. One of the guys who drove out there with us, Dan, is a high school friend of mine. He knew Rob through work. Those guys drove forklifts at this warehouse that summer, and Rob became a steady connection for the harder drugs we were all interested in experimenting with. We live in a small town and had all been drinking and smoking weed since we were 14, 15, but only Dan had any experience with anything harder until that summer. He'd done coke a few times, molly, tripped on shrooms with his younger brother, but mostly that stuff was hard to come by and none of us wanted to put in the effort to find it. Enter Rob. Enter our gateway. It was a very fun summer. I'd met Rob a handful of times, usually at Dan's apartment, or the parking lot where they worked, and almost always to buy something fun off him. I tried coke a few times, found it boring. Probably it was bad coke, or maybe it's just not my drug. The most it did was make me talk more than I'm comfortable, always leaving me with that nagging feeling that I overshared all night long when I would be trying to drift to sleep at 6am the next day. Molly was more my thing. I like the way it made me not care about all the negative bullshit constantly swirling in my head. That and Xanax both made me feel human for a few hours. Anyway, the day I need to talk about, Dan, Ray, Nick, and I all met up at Dan's place. We'd each brought a sleeping bag, some weed, a few bottles. The plan was to drive out to Rob's. He lived outside of town, where things turned rural very quickly. He said there was great hiking all within a few miles from his house. We would spend the first night at his place, the next camped out, and then return Sunday, of course enjoying heightened consciousness the entire time. Everyone was excited. We were still young enough that none of us really had any real responsibilities. We were basically big kids with a little money and a lot of energy. Dan and Rob were going to take LSD the first night to kick off the weekend, Their plan was to start coming up as the sun went down, in hopes that they'd be peaking when the sky was dark and full of stars. Rob's house really was in the middle of nowhere. No light pollution, no neighbours, just dark skies and the natural light of the cosmos. Because I wanted to pace myself and enjoy the weekend I had a habit back then of kicking off every weekend with too much drinking and feeling sick all Saturday and most of Sunday I volunteered to be their tripsitter the first night. I would have some drinks, maybe give coke another try. Rob said his newest stuff was real fish scale, and I wanted to close the book on whether or not cocaine was for me, but keep a reasonably clear head in case anyone started having a bad time. Nick decided to join me in that responsibility. He was mostly a stoner, and didn't have a big desire to go further than that. He lived close to 90% of his life high, so even if he were a few blunts deep I knew I could trust him to help steady any sort of turbulent situation. We'd been best friends since elementary school, and of everyone in our group of friends, I trusted him the most. When it comes to Ray, I should probably give some backstory, but I'm trying to keep this brief. We'd all known Ray since elementary school, small town and all, and even though most people feigned ignorance, it was no secret that he'd grown up rough. Abusive, alcoholic dad drug-addicted mother. He had his issues, but who doesn't? I say all this so it won't seem crazy that he wanted to try heroin the first night. We wouldn't let him mainline it. That seemed too much like something a junkie would do. His plan was to snort the line, maybe two, doze off peacefully. None of us were the type to lecture. Our friend wanted to try something, and we wanted to make sure he was safe while he did. Rob had Narcan at the house, and knew what he referred to as real junkies. We trusted him to measure the doses and make sure everything was straight. The night began with music and beers. Everyone was in a good mood. We had a few hours of sunlight left, and Rob had a fire going behind his old shabby house. There was a lake in the distance, and we cooked hot dogs over the fire. We lined our stomachs, and then set out on the real adventure. Rob measured out two lines of dark grey powder on the table inside for Ray. The first was skinnier and shorter. "'Start with that one,' he said, snorting the residue on his thumb from dividing the lines. "'It should be enough to have you flying. Some people have a natural tolerance, so if that's not enough, you can do the second one.' "'He's good with that?' Nick asked. "'Yeah, no doubt,' Rob said. He reached into his backpack and pulled out a small white bottle with a tube at the end. It tapped it on the table. Got this if anything happens. Wake him up in less than two seconds. Perfectly safe. The bottle looked like Flonase to me, but he was the expert. Being that Ray was going the hardest, he went first. He leaned over the table, shut his left nostril, and plugged the right one with a rolled $20 bill, and snorted the thin line. Wow. He sat up, snorted a few times, shook his head. Then he laughed. Holy fucking shit. He was smiling ear to ear, which made the rest of us smile. Ray normally kept a stone-faced expression, hard and tight. Now his eyes were wide and glossy and he was leaning back on the couch. Oh yeah, he said, laying back. Nick patted his arm and said, Have a good trip, fella. How will we know if something's wrong? I asked, trying to take my job seriously. I'd had a few beers and still felt mentally there, but a few more and I'd need the coke to level me out. Luckily, Rob was already laying that on the table, along with a few tabs of acid in tinfoil. What's that? he asked, looking at me through the small bag of flaky white powder. Do I need to keep an eye on him? Oh, nah, he barely took any. Surprised it put him down. I guess if he starts choking or sounds like he can't breathe right, just hit him with this. He threw the Narcan at me, which I fumbled and dropped on the ground. Ready to meet God? he said to Dan. Fuck yeah, let's do it. So they each put two tabs under their tongues, and 20 minutes later they were in the backyard laying on sleeping bags. We turned all the outside lights off and dimmed the inside ones. I couldn't see anything outside the windows, only my own reflection. Ray was laying on the couch. His eyes closed and a half smile fixed on his lips. His breathing was even and regular, and eventually I stopped watching so closely. Nick was finishing a blunt, and I had just done my first line Coke is lame. I said to Nick, wiping my nose. I could feel it dripping down the back of my throat, a sensation that is normally unpleasant, but thanks to some neural conditioning, I've come to associate with pleasure. Just make me feel sober again. He laughed his stone laugh and rubbed his red eyes. Seriously, I drank like six beers and that line just got rid of them. Feel like I could take the fucking SAT again and crush it. I pulled out my phone to check the score of the Cavs game and saw I had no service. "'Damn. No bars. Fucking T-Mobile. You know the score of the game?' Nick checked his phone. Nothing. "'How's this motherfucker live out here with no service?' I asked. I could hear the excited pitch of my voice and wondered again if that was all cocaine was good for, a little fast talking. But I was happy too, just excited about existing. I Opened Rob's laptop and checked the game. His internet was spotty, but it worked.' "'Must use the Wi-Fi to conduct his business,' I said. "'But he's got a landline,' Nick said, pointing to the phone on the wall. "'I asked him about it when you were in the bathroom, "'made some joke about how he's got to be the last man on Earth selling drugs on a landline. "'Dude fucking looks at me all serious and says, "'Don't touch that phone.' "'As if I wanted to or something. "'He's strange.' "'Most drug dealers that live out in the boonies are,' I said." I tried to look out the glass door, but again only my reflection showed. Assuming that Rob and Dan were tripping somewhere in the dark grass, I crossed to the kitchen and lifted the phone from its cradle. There was a weak dial tone ringing in my ear. I cracked another beer and chopped another line. Nick was packing the bong he'd brought along, bobbing his head to the low music we had going. Suddenly, Ray sat up with a gasp. "'Welcome back, homie,' Nick said, ripping the bong." Ray's hair was all matted and his eyes were low, like he'd been roused from a three-hour nap. "'How was it?' I asked. "'It was heaven.' We all laughed at that. "'Think I should check on them out there?' I asked Nick, only remembering that I was trip-sitting now that Ray was back in our world. "'Probably a good idea,' he said, so I opened the glass door and turned on the flashlight. I swept the yard a few times and didn't see them. "'Yo, Dan, where you guys at?' I circled the house and then went back in. "'I can't find them,' I said. "'Should we be worried? "'Feel like this is the type of shit a trip sitter is supposed to prevent.' "'I'm sure they're fine, man,' Nick said. He was eating a bag of hot Cheetos with his feet up. "'Rob does this shit like every weekend. "'Probably just wanted a darker spot to see the stars.' "'Yeah, or they lost their shit and went stumbling off hunting fairies or something.' "'I don't think that's what acid does. "'You've been watching too many movies.' Mm, guess you're right. The landline rang, loud and shrill. It cut through the music and the darkness in the living room, making us all jump. It rang three times, then stopped. Jesus, I said, my heart beating in my neck. Please leave your message after the tone, Nick imitated, his voice flat and robotic. I think I'm going to do that other line, Ray said. He'd been sitting on the couch quietly since waking up, his leg jumping nervously. The phone only made him more on edge. I don't know if that's a good idea, I said. The first one put you down and that one is like twice as big. I nodded off for less than an hour. Heroin is supposed to last longer. Maybe it's shitty stuff like his coke. Come on James, stop killing the vibe. Neither of us have ever done heroin, I said shrugging at Nick. I don't like the idea of being responsible for you, especially with those two idiots missing. You're not responsible for me, he said. And before I could get another word in, his head was lowered and he was snorting up the second line. Jesus, I said for the second time. Ray leaned back and immediately closed his eyes. Ugh, he moaned and slumped over, his hand crossing over his chest. Nick looked nervous, which doubled my anxiety. He's always calm. We actually gotta watch him this time, I said to him. "'Maybe I should go to try and find Dan and Rob, too. "'This sucks, man. "'I I don't like this.' "'Don't leave me here with him,' Nick said, sitting up. "'He rubbed his eyes real hard, "'the way he always did when we got pulled over on a blunt ride, "'trying to sober up fast. "'Way too high for that level of responsibility.' "'All right,' I said, and sat on the couch. "'Want a bump? "'Might help you sober up. "'Nah. "'Suit yourself.' "'I laid another line down and made it disappear.' all right i said pumping myself up all right let's go let's go the next 30 minutes passed in silence ray slept occasionally snoring nick zoned out staring at the wall my eyes darted back and forth from ray the bag of coke the phone on the wall i was becoming very uncomfortable paranoid i blamed the coke and vowed not to take anymore I didn't want to be trip-sitting, didn't want to be at this sketchy house out in the sticks, and where the fuck was Dan? Was he okay? Everything had gotten weird, too fast. Then Ray started choking. The sound was like someone gagging. His chest hitched, his face contorted, I noticed his lips were bluish. Fuck, I think he's choking. I got up and turned him on his side. Immediately he puked his hot dogs back up on Rob's couch. We need an ambulance, Nick said. We need a fucking ambulance. He just kept repeating it, shuffling on his feet. We lived in a state with a pretty strict Good Samaritan law, meaning you were supposed to feel comfortable calling 911 in case of an overdose without worrying about going to jail. I'd heard it. Didn't always go the way it was supposed to, but didn't care in that moment. I wasn't going to watch my friend choke on his own vomit or fall into a sleep he'd never wake up from. I pulled out my phone and dialed 911. Silence met my ears. No bars. Fuck. No service. You try. Uh, Should I be doing CPR? How do I do CPR? I slapped Ray on the face as Nick tried 911. Ray? Ray, wake up, bro. To Nick. It's not fucking working. I got nothing, dude, he said, throwing his phone on the couch. The Narcan. But it was gone. I couldn't remember where I'd put it. "'You gotta use the landline,' Nick said, pointing at it with his chin, like he was scared of it. I was, too. Why?' "'Look for the fucking Narcan,' I said, grabbing the phone. He seemed relieved to have his task instead of mine, immediately dropped to the ground and began searching. I pressed nine, then one, then one, listening to the thready, uneven dial tone in my ear. The phone rang once, crackling with static, then again— on the third ring, a voice picked up, quiet and far away. 911, what's your emergency? It was a woman's voice, steady and professional. My friend is overdosing, I screamed. I told myself to keep calm as the line rang, but that was immediately abandoned once I heard a voice on the other end. We need an ambulance, please, hurry! Sir, what is your location? Um, fuck. Nick, what's the fucking address? What? the fucking address i don't know man he was on his knees pulling the narcan out from the chair it had rolled under when rob threw it at me Ah, uh, we're on lane 71 out in bushwick real long roads lots of farms there's a lake too fuck there are only like three houses out here it's the light yellow one one story red truck in the yard silence on the other end hello did you hear me Sir, I need you to stay calm. What did your friend take? Heroin. He's fucking choking and shit. His lips are all blue. You need to hurry. Can you perform CPR while I get an ambulance to you? She asked, her voice low and monotone, just another day at the office. Nick, do CPR, I yelled. Shouldn't I use this? He said, holding the little white bottle. But the woman was speaking in my ear and I was distracted. She just said something about hell. What? I asked, the faraway scratchy voice at the other end of the line. "'I said you're doing well, James. How... I know he's your friend,' Static flared, cancelling her voice. "'Afraid of the dark?' "'I can't hear you,' I said. My tongue felt numb, and not from the coke. My legs were rubber. I wanted to fall over. "'James, he's fucking dying!' Nick screamed, taking the top off the bottle. "'How do I do this shit?' I said he'll be okay, as long as he's not afraid of the dark. The woman on the phone laughed. Did he tell you how to use this? Nick's voice was far, farther than the quiet voice on the phone. Somehow. I was falling into it, losing my sense of place. I could see Nick putting the top back on, jamming the bottle up Bray's nose, squirting it like the flonase I thought it was, but that was all distant. Unimportant. It's very dark where he is, she said, and darker where he's going, where you're all going. We have Narcan, I said, mumbling, just speaking to feel real again. I don't know how to use it. Wake up, Nick was shouting, smacking Ray's pale cheeks. Then I heard Ray's voice through the phone. Please, he said. I don't want to go. The woman's laughing got deeper, distorted, then the pitch reversed and started climbing higher until it was more of a scream than a laugh, a horrible shrieking. It exploded out of the phone and I dropped it. Ray sat up suddenly, his eyes wide and white and bulging. He screamed. No! Don't make me! Nick hugged him. He was crying now and I think I was too. Ray pushed him off, looked around the room wildly before his eyes settled on mine. You were there, he said. I saw you. I dropped to my knees and hugged him too. No ambulance ever came. We didn't see Dan until the next morning when he showed up at the door. Alone. The last thing he remembered was Rob telling him he knew a place with a better view of the sky. It's bigger there, he said, leading Dan into the woods. This was as they were coming up. He spent the rest of the night wandering, running from voices he thought were coming from his head, even though he could hear them with his ears. We never found Rob. We never went back to his house. Far as I know, there was no one to miss him besides his customers. Never read about the disappearance in the news. We all tried not to think about that night. Especially Ray and me. I tried explaining what happened to Nick. He listened and he didn't doubt me. But as time went on, I could see him closing himself off to it, trying to make it less real. I never bothered telling Dan. Ray and I talked about it once. This was a few weeks before he overdosed again, this time alone, and this time for good. He told me, "'You were there, in the darkness. "'I heard your voice and I followed it back. "'Thank you.' "'We hugged and when his face left my chest it was wet.' I don't know what was on the other end of that phone, and I hope to never find out. I'm afraid of the dark. I felt a sting on my back as I woke up with a jolt. Looking up, I realised that my teacher had hit my shoulder blade with a ruler in order to wake me up. Wearing a scowl on his face, he watched my eyes as he silently put some papers on my desk. The class groaned as Mr. Walter handed out our assignment for today, and returned to his desk. We had a test this week, and we had received a six-page packet for review. I estimated it would take me at least two hours, maybe three to complete. Looking up from my desk and back at the board, I noticed that our teacher had returned to the front of the room and was playing a video on the screen. The video which was a review of our lesson from three days ago, had been pulled up on YouTube. At the Cammingston High School in Indiana, you could say Mr. Walter was a bit of an enigma. Being the only calculus teacher at my school, everyone who has ever graduated in the last 13 years surely would have remembered taking his class. Not because he was a good teacher, nor because he was a horrible one. He remained a mystery because he never spoke. Not once. Not only did he never speak, nobody ever saw him leave the school. And as our school provided no food for the teachers, except for the cafeteria at lunchtime, which was only for the students, the teachers were expected to bring their food from outside, which meant that Mr. Walter never had food. Or water. Many kids just wrote him off as weird or simply a freak, but I knew that either they were wrong about his habits, or I had a great misunderstanding of the things that the human body needed to survive. Which is why after finishing my homework at 11pm that night, I decided to return to the school. On the outside of the building, I looked in through Mr. Walter's classroom's window. There was nobody inside. The coast was clear. I knew the windows were unlocked at my school in case of an emergency, so I slowly, carefully, was able to open the window from outside, and slip right through into the room. Once inside, I immediately set out to do my task. I crept over to Mr. Walter's large desk and opened the top left drawer. My eyes were met with a stack of test papers. Closing that drawer, I opened the one to its right, and saw a stack of calculus homework papers. The next drawer contained yet more calculus papers. I was beginning to get disheartened, but then I realised that the next drawer was locked, I pulled on it with all my might, but the lock was pretty sturdy. After grabbing a paperclip from Mr. Walter's desk, I unfolded it and attempted to pick the lock. The lock wouldn't budge. I kept trying. Come on. Come on. As if to meet my requests, I hear a small click, and the drawer flew open. My jaw immediately dropped. The top paper in the cabinet had a pentagram drawn upon it. Under it were several Latin words in red ink. I hastily looked through all the papers in the drawer. There were dozens of them, all with various demonic symbolism and Latin words under it. I dropped the papers, slammed the cabinet shut, and sprinted out to the hallway. Beads of sweat ran down my face and neck. My heart was pounding as I turned the next corner. I froze. Mr. Walter was walking down the hallway, away from me, When he heard me step into the hall, he stopped where he was standing. Who... what... are you? He didn't respond, but I slowly began to feel the world stop moving. It was like time itself slowed down to a halt, where before I could hear cars driving on the road outside and crickets chirping. It was like they were slowing down, and then stopping. After what felt like hours of me staring at the back of my teacher's head from about ten paces away, I noticed I couldn't move. Even though I willed my muscles with every fibre of my being to run away from the danger, I knew that my body was being held in place by a force beyond this plane of reality. Suddenly, all of the lights went out. Everything was pitch black, and not even the moonlight shining through the glass door at the end of the long hallway was enough for me to see. As quickly as it came, the darkness was gone and was replaced by a dark red light, like you would see in a photography room. Unlike a photography room, however, the light wasn't coming from anywhere. It just seemed to permeate the hallway without emanating from any specific place. And then I noticed Mr. Walter. He was in the same position, not farther nor closer to me than he was before the lights went out. The only difference was, now, he was facing me. If I could have moved my lips, I would have screamed for help. His eyes had no irises. All I could see were the pupils, which were like tiny pinpoints in the centre of his eye. And the rest was white. His mouth was drawn up at the corners in a vicious smile. It would have looked normal, except that, other than his teeth, his mouth was like a large, black void... Mr. Walter then began shrieking, without moving his mouth. The sound was a cross between a baby crying and an eagle screeching. It was like nails on a chalkboard, and as if the noise was a demand for all others to bow down to him, all of the lockers began opening and closing rapidly. Inside of the lockers, all that was visible was a black void. Still screeching, Mr. Walter rose several inches off the ground, There were no strings attached to him. There was no hidden lever. No. He was hovering up off the ground, defying gravity in doing so. Mr. Walter shot across the hallway like a bullet, aimed for me. I instinctively tried to cover my face, but it was like I was floating in syrup. I couldn't move my muscles. When he hit me, all went black. The sharp rap of a ruler on my shoulder blade woke me up. My head jerked upwards and my heart was still pounding. Everyone was staring at me. On the board, the YouTube calculus lesson was still playing. I must have been dreaming. It's not real. It's not real. Calm down. My heart gradually began to slow down. I took it as a lesson that my brain wanted to give me, or something, and that it wasn't possible for anything to be wrong with our teacher that it would defy reality if he never ate or slept, and that I was just being paranoid. When the class finally ended, I had decided not to watch so many horror movies. Before I could walk out the door and enjoy the weekend, however, I felt Mr. Walter's hand on my shoulder. He kept me until everyone else had left the classroom. What he said to me, the only thing I've ever heard him say, still keeps me up at night. You keep falling asleep in class. If it continues to happen, there may be more serious consequences. I doubt it'll come to that. Also, I hope you've learned your lesson. If you try to solve questions, you might find answers.